This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Our week of camp was great with 5th and 6th graders. They're, it's such a unique time in their lives of wanting to stretch their wings and be independent, but also feeling very self-conscious and wanting to cling to mom and dad. And it's interesting to watch that happen. We, um, on the first day when parents dropped off their kids, they came into the rooms of the bunk beds and we saw moms rolling out bedding and sleeping bags, opening up suitcases, reminding their kids where everything was. One year, not this year, I, I actually saw a kid's suitcase that had individual big Ziploc bags labeled with each day with clothing in it so that every day he could pick up Monday clothes, open it up, put on what's inside the bag and be ready to go. Tuesday, new bag, just very perfectly organized. And that's what he needed, that structure. So much stuff. When they were leaving the dorms, I watched a dad carrying a tote as I was checking kids out. A little bit later, I saw him go by again, carrying another tote, daughter walking behind him. A third time, I said, I was here a week. How long did you stay? Why did you need so much stuff for a week of camp? It was unbelievable. They, the, the size of these bags, some of them larger than the kids that were, that were using them. Uh, and they depended on, on mom and dad very much so, uh, unpacking. On Friday, we, uh, we have what's called cleanup. And so everybody um, gathers together all of the dirty clothes that are scattered who knows where, in a pile in the, on the floor between bunks, and they kind of have to separate dirty towels hanging everywhere, trash, you know, crumbs of snacks that they've eaten through the week. They, they pack up their own bags and put everything on the bunks so we can sweep out the, the room, clean up before we go. And it's interesting to see, especially boys at this age, packing their own things in a bag, just stuffing and wadding. Without mom and dad to help, now they, they have to fend for themselves. And the interesting thing was to see them when it came time to lift everything up on the bed. Um, I'm, I'm going to need some help with this. Okay, what, what do you need help with? I, need, I, I, I can't lift my, my suitcase on the bed. I, I don't think I can. Okay, well, why don't you, have you tried? No, why don't you try first? I'm here to help you if you need it, but, but I think you can do it. Why don't, why don't you try to do it? Ooh, this is the, the sigh of the bag, but just imagining the weight. It's so daunting. I, hmm. And you can tell, something that hasn't, hasn't been attempted before and therefore has not been accomplished. And so I wanted to encourage, see how this goes. So, so well, you know, you're on the bottom bunk, so it's just a lift. If, if you're nervous about it, why don't you lean it back and then you can slide it off the floor up onto your bunk. And uh, sure enough, whoop, nice and easy. It, it worked out great. But that, the idea of the, the weight of that burden was just a bit overwhelming. We think about the imagery of what that looks like for us, the, the burdens of life, the burdens that come up in our faith, that, that are overwhelming, that seem too heavy to lift, let alone carry. Those burdens that we need help with sometimes. Uh, Paul's words today as we look into Romans chapter 15 and 16, uh, point us to the, the incredible opportunity we have to encourage and support one another by, by working alongside, by, by sharing the load of those burdens. Uh, what, what an opportunity for us to, 
to live life next to one another, to encourage each other's faith. That's what we're, we're going to come to as we wrap up our series in the book of Romans today. We're going to cover chapters 15 and 16, and that will be the end of our series. It's a 15-week series. It's a long one. So thank you for your patience. I've enjoyed this. I hope you have. We have together read through most of the book of Romans here on Sunday mornings, and it's been, it's been great. Now, I have to confess, today we're not going to read all of these two chapters as we get through these. We're, Paul, there are some sections of these two chapters where Paul is saying farewell, you know, glad to see you, say hello to your brother for me, like his, his personal kinds of comments to people who are there in Rome. Um, they're, they're, they contain great historical information. It helps us know uh, the time and place that certain people, certain names from other places in the Bible, where they were, helps us connect the book of Romans to other, other uh, books that we have in the New Testament. However, for our sermon, they aren't necessarily relevant to the, the encouragement to the church, and so we'll just move past those as we begin talking. So this morning, if you want to open with me, Romans chapter 15 is where we'll start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles with you, please do that. Uh, if you want to just read along on the screen, the words will be there. If you want to use a phone or tablet uh, and use the Version app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Let's begin reading together. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Paul defined the difference between strong and weak faith. He talked about strong faith as uh, a faith of confidence, certainty, of knowing right from wrong, uh, of living in the freedom of that, and the, the weaker faith of, of uncertainty, an uncertainty that sometimes leads us to sin because we don't know with confidence that we're living faithfully for the Lord, and, and that produces sometimes uh, a very strict legalism in our faith. And Paul's encouragement to the church was not to, not to judge others for the way that they express their faith in terms of, of, of obedience, uh, but that we need to support one another and find common ground and think about how we can honor the name of the Lord together rather than tearing people down for their perspective of obedience. As long as we're all obeying Scripture, we don't need to split hairs over how and when. He continued to say that as we think about others, instead of allowing selfishness to destroy unity and harmony, we need to instead think about the, the condition of other people, to, to think about the situation they're in and care for their needs. And as we grow in that process, we develop a foundation of what it means to be the body of Christ. We learn to grow in our example of following Christ's example as we care for one another. And so now Paul reminds us, as we do that, we need to bear with one another with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves, but to work for their good. Now, these two attitudes set in opposition to each other, this selfish perspective of living for our own pleasure and this perspective of caring for the needs of others and bearing with their weaknesses and failings. Selfish attitude that keeps us from bearing with one another is produced by impatience, frustration that comes when we're driven by our own comfort. When we bear with one another, we choose to encourage, to support, to remain with them through the difficulties they're facing. And while that takes time and effort and energy, 
that investment is, is worth it as we walk alongside our fellow Christians, as we care for them and sometimes carry the burden for them. We're called to build one another up in unity as the church, even if it means we have to make personal sacrifices to invest in the lives of others. Now, this isn't the first time Paul has talked about all this. You look through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this, this imagery that we have now is deepening, and we, we read the word uh, bear with, and, and that, that verb is the same that was used in the Gospels to describe Jesus Christ picking up his cross and carrying it to Calvary, bearing that burden. And now we begin to understand the sacrifice that's necessary to care for other people genuinely, to, to walk next to them, to pick up the burdens that seem so heavy, so overwhelming, and to help them with those, to, to walk alongside them, encourage them, help them grow in their ability, but also to be willing to share the load and walk alongside them, sometimes take the burden from them for a little bit so they can rest and then hand it back to them as we encourage them to live their lives of faith. And what we understand is that when we work for the good of others, when we help them with their faith, when we help them grow closer to the Lord, we align with God's purpose. I'm reminded of Paul's words in chapter 8 when he said, in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. When we care about other people, when we encourage them, we're working for their good, we are aligned with this purpose of God. Now, we, we hear those words that Paul, is, that Paul said, God is working for our good, and those words provide us with, with confidence. They, they provide us with, with hope, knowing that God is thinking of us, knowing that God is working to draw us closer to him. And when we work for the good of others, we're doing that same thing. We're, we're helping people draw closer to the Lord. And as we do that, we, we gain perspective. We gain an understanding of what it is that God is doing in our lives and the lives of other people. And, and it helps us. To, to recognize the work that God is doing. It helps us to understand how he's working in the lives of others. And as we participate in that process, we become a, a, an image of that confidence and hope in the lives of others as we, as we work for their good, as we help them draw closer to the Lord. And, and what we're doing is pointing their perspective to God so that they can be filled with the same confidence and hope, knowing that God is working for their good, knowing that God is thinking of them and working to bring them closer to him. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to grow together toward maturity. It's a big, a, a big kind of task for us, though. When we think about caring for others, carrying burdens. What Paul says, we find the encouragement to work for the good of others in the pages of Scripture. We find the endurance to help carry their burdens. When we invest ourselves in the study of his word, that's what it provides to us, encouragement and endurance. And we begin to develop that endurance to help with our burdens as we practice. Skill is improved with practice. Strength is increased. Endurance is developed through exercise. Our faith is the same. That's why the practice of our faith is called spiritual disciplines. We have to dedicate ourselves, we have to commit ourselves to the practice of these things so that we can grow in our ability, so that we can develop the, the endurance needed, so that we can carry those burdens, so that we can draw closer to the Lord. When we spend time in prayer, when we invest in the study of God's word, when we spend time in, in solitude and silence before the Lord, when we fast, when we tithe, when we serve God and his kingdom, the world, we grow in our ability to do those things. We develop those skills. 
We develop the, the muscle memory. We develop the endurance and the strength to, to increase, to spend more time, to reach more people through the practice of those disciplines. And while we may not notice progress as we look from day to day or week to week, when we look back over months, when we look back over years, we see what God is developing in us through the work of his Holy Spirit. How he's drawing us closer to him. And when we work for the good of others, what we see ultimately is that God is producing hope in us and in them. Well, we were once weak, unable to carry those burdens. We recognize the power of God at work in us, the strength and endurance. Where we once felt defeated, we see the promise of victory through Jesus Christ. Where we were once helpless to the temptation of sin, we are developing resistance to those temptations to stand where we as a church were once divided and critical, were provided with the potential for peace and unity together between us. Hope carries us as a church so we can think as one, lift our voices in praise to God as one with the selfless love of Christ as we care for one another and begin speaking encouragement together. Paul's words continue in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What we have here is a collection of Old Testament passages that Paul used to encourage the believers that the love of God was not just for the people of Israel, but was for all people. The first passage that he quoted was from the words of David in 2 Samuel 22, and then rewritten again in the Psalms. Psalm 18 uh, records this song of praise that David saying to the Lord after he was delivered from the hand of his enemies in battle, proclaiming God, no matter who was around, proclaiming God in the face of the Gentiles, proclaiming God, letting the Gentiles see, all the other nations see the power of God expressed in the way he was delivered. Second quotation comes from Moses when he found out he was going to die. He gathered the people of Israel and proclaimed this song of praise to the Lord and through it spoke of the rebellion of the Israelites against God that they would be captured by foreign nations and that God would exert his power when they repented to deliver them from those foreign nations. And in that process, those nations would recognize the power and might of God and praise him for it. The third passage comes from Psalm 117, very short Psalm, one of the shortest, just two verses. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This is unique among the Psalms. Typically, they are very much about the people of God. This one acknowledges the love of God for all people that he created, inviting them to praise him. The last quotation comes from the prophet Isaiah. It's a mashup from chapter 11 and 42, made into one. And it was also quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, as Matthew explained Jesus as Savior and Messiah, not just for the Israelites, but for the world. 
bring about forgiveness. And we read these passages in, in modern English. And honestly, they seem so repetitive. Praise you among the Gentiles. Rejoice, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. In him the Gentiles will hope. I don't, reading that, gain a lot of good from hearing all those different things. But think of the people of Israel who knew their Old Testament so well that in the Hebrew they would have heard these words from Paul. They would have recognized clearly the variations of verbiage and been reminded of their history, of God's power on display, been reminded of the voices of the past, of, of David and Moses and Isaiah the prophet, and remember the significance of this message carried through of God's love for his people, not just the people of Israel, but God's love for the world. This incredible message that gives hope and joy and peace, a hope not just that fills us, but a hope that overflows into the lives of others, that through these experiences, they would come to see the hope that comes from the love of God. Paul continues in verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul has been reminding the church, the believers in Rome, to look outside of themselves so that they can support and encourage one another. He called them to unity together, directing them not to look down, not to sit in judgment, not to become superior, but to see common ground, to look people in the eye as creation, as God's created people who are all equally loved by him. And now his words are a reminder of responsibility. First, he directed the Christians of their responsibility toward one another as the church, that they had been instructed in Scripture. They had been instructed in what it means for them to be united as a church, that they had, they had all the information that they needed. And Paul said, you're filled with goodness. You're filled with knowledge. You're competent to instruct one another. And Paul has been invested in the health of the churches that he established, the gathered believers. He has been investing in this group of believers in Rome. And now he's recognizing you have been given everything you need to succeed. Start leading. Start encouraging one another. Start being the church together. And then he started talking about his own responsibilities. And he said, I've written you quite boldly on some points. Now, this isn't an apology from Paul for being bold and blunt. But think about all the things he said about the, the, the wrong in the church, about the way that wrong needs to be corrected. He has been hitting the nail on the head over and over and over again through this letter. And, and let's be honest. When it comes to correction, we don't do very well with subtlety. We don't, we don't do very well with, with encouragement. We don't do very well with suggestion. Sometimes we need to be confronted with truth, especially when it, that truth requires change on our part. We need to hear those blunt, bold words. And Paul, rather than, apologizes, uh, rather than apologizing, says, I've been bold for a reason. And that's because God has given me this task, this grace, 
And I want to make sure that you're, you're doing this well. He acknowledged his responsibility to correct and to guide the church, but also to the mission God gave him to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, to step across borders and boundaries with the message of love and grace, with the message of hope. And he had, Paul had this difficult task, but he was dedicated to it. He was devoted to it. Stepping across cultural lines, racial lines, not just proclaiming Jesus to the Israelites, but to all peoples around him. Stepping across religious boundaries. And Paul was a Pharisee, a very strict section of that Jewish religion. And he was now proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to people who didn't even worship God yet, who might have worshiped false gods or idols, calling them to believe in Jesus. Paul was stepping across social, economic, lines with the truth of Jesus and his effort, his mission, remind us that every person is worthy of hearing about Jesus. Every person. There's, there's no person who is unworthy of the love of Christ. There's no person who is unworthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that anyone could ever do to disqualify themselves from the love of God. There's no sin so great that grace can't cover it. And each of us are grateful that that truth applies to us, to know that there's nothing we can do that can make God stop loving us. And there's no sin that we could fall into that can't be forgiven by grace. We are worthy of God's love and grace. And we hear that, and it's so encouraging. It gives us such strength and peace. But we also need to be grateful for the way that that truth applies to every other person as well. That while we have benefited from that, we also need to think about God's love and grace for others. We will never encounter another person who's beyond the love and grace of Jesus. No matter what they've done, no matter who they are. You think about the world today and all the people who have had their dirty laundry aired, people of influence, people of celebrity, people of, of respect, who we now found out have been damaging the lives of other people, who have treated people horribly, who have sinned dramatically. And now they no longer hold the positions they once held. Now they no longer are capable of, of being a celebrity or an influence or attaining the same kind of work even that they had before. And to be honest, in some ways we say, that's good. They shouldn't have access to people. They shouldn't have the, the position where they can abuse and hurt and damage the lives of other people in the way that they did. And we think about those people in terms of this message that they're worthy of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Ah, really? It becomes more difficult for us to think about until we think about how desperately they need to know Jesus. They are still worthy of his love and grace, even though we might not like the idea of that. The murderer sitting in his jail cell who has destroyed families through his actions, that then hears the message of Jesus Christ and accepts him as Lord and Savior and is baptized. We, we wonder, how, how, could that, how does that work? Should he? Is it... It, it really stretches our understanding. It really stretches our 
perspective to think about the love of God that every person, no matter what they've done, is worthy of that love and grace. Now think about this. Every person is worthy of hearing about the gospel message of Jesus Christ from me. Every one of those people is worthy of hearing about the love and grace of Jesus Christ from you. And now no longer are we saying, oh yes, somebody should go talk to them about the Lord. God loves them enough that he sent his son to die for them. I should love them enough to tell them about that sacrifice. That's a little bit more difficult. And yet it's the calling that God has placed in our lives to, to carry the message, to deliver hope. And we can't let our opinion of others keep us from delivering hope. It doesn't matter what a person has done. No sin is too great. We might not be comfortable believing that a murderer could be forgiven, but the blood of Christ is powerful enough to wash away any sin, every sin. doesn't matter whether we, we like another person or not. doesn't matter if we want to spend more than a couple of minutes in the same room with them. They still are worthy of forgiveness and grace and love from God. It doesn't matter where a person's from. Doesn't matter what a person has or doesn't have. It doesn't matter what lifestyle that person is currently living. They still are worthy of the life changing message of Jesus Christ. And they're worthy of receiving it from me and from you. Nothing about their lives gives me the right to withhold the gift of God from them. Think about that. No situation in my life either will ever relieve me from that responsibility. It doesn't matter how much work I have to do. It doesn't matter what my calendar looks like. It doesn't matter if I'm tired after a long day, irritable because I haven't taken care of myself, frustrated with the circumstances that I find myself in, or even if I'm angry because they have mistreated me in the past. I still have that responsibility from God to the gospel. And it's a humbling experience to live in that responsibility to swallow pride, to set aside assumptions, so that we can deliver hope. We're called to live in the love of the Lord and take hold of every opportunity to, live, to deliver his truth. Everyone. Paul continues in verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Now Paul's life was committed to this mission. Notice how he described his accomplishments. Notice how he described his motivation. He recognized all that God had accomplished through him, that it was God working. He recognized the power of God on display, proving the truth of the message. He understood the importance of the task. He said, I have, I've had this ambition. Ooh, ambition. 
That doesn't sound like it's a good thing. We use ambition in the negative sense. And we talk about people who, who push people out of their way to accomplish what they want. But what happens when we surrender ambition to the Lord? What happens when God uses ambition in us to push aside what we want so that we can accomplish his will in the world around us? Paul's ambition was to proclaim the gospel message to those who had never heard it, that he wouldn't have to correct the wrongs of somebody else's teaching, that he could point them to the truth of Scripture and how they could live their lives. And it was his ambition, his drive, his motivation to do what God had called him to do, to put aside his wants for the sake of the gospel. His words continue in verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way, obstacles that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now it's said there are two things that will destroy peace, our peace of mind. The first is inner turmoil, the, the distractions that pull us, that literally tear us apart as, as we are drawn from one to the other. The second is worry about external things that we can't control. Those, those two things will destroy our peace of mind. And they will also hinder us from God's purpose. We need to trust in the power of God to overcome distractions that keep us from living for him and the worry that cripples us from devoting ourselves to his mission. But these two obstacles will also destroy peace within a church. You think about the, the inner turmoil that pits Christian against Christian, the conflict and criticism that tears us apart from the inside. There's also an influence from outside the church to distract us from our mission. To, to get us to deviate from what God is calling us to do, to stand behind some other cause, to believe a truth that is based on Christian principles but, but points us away from the gospel toward another foundation. One of the most destructive influences in this world to our faith is information. And we cannot allow any influential, charismatic, eloquent voice to distract us from the word of God, to hinder us from our mission to the gospel. You know what Paul says about those who are easily swayed by influence, easily swayed by celebrity, easily accepting of those voices of recognition, those people who have a big name. We want to trust their words. He says we're naive when we let their voices sway us from the truth. We're naive. We're inexperienced. We're too trusting. And I think that really is the, the nature of what sways us, that we really want to trust a person's words. We, want, we, we see a, a big name in the faith, and we think, well, just because they said it, we should be able to trust it. We, we hear about the influence of a person or their, their recognition and celebrity, and we think, well, they're a person who should be trusted. We should be able to listen and hear. One of the most influential voices that we have in the world today is social media. And shame on us for being so naive to take in that kind of news and information without discerning the truth. That's, that's naive. What Paul 
calls us to recognize is the answer to being so naive is to, to build our base of information, to study the Word of God, to grow in our understanding of His Word so that through our experience, we're no longer so naive and trusting because we understand truth. And when we hear something that sounds false, we immediately recognize that it doesn't resonate with the foundation of Scripture that we have hidden in our hearts. We need to grow in our understanding of truth and devote ourselves to the Word of God and to the mission that he's called us to. We should let nothing hinder us from the message of Christ's love and grace. And while the influence of others can be a major obstacle or hindrance, our own conduct can keep us from the message of Christ. And so Paul's instructions for us are to be wise about what is good, to commit ourselves to the path of goodness, the path of faithfulness, that we would build strong habits in our lives and walk that same path every day toward the study of Scripture, toward our, our life of prayer, to serving, to, to obedience, that we would walk that path, that narrow path, so much so that we would start to wear grooves in the carpet, that we would keep walking that path, keep building those habits every day, that we would find ourselves wearing a trench in the ground along that path of goodness, that we would dig ourselves so deep as we walk that same path that if we ever were tempted to deviate from that path of goodness, that we would have to climb out of the trench that we've made for ourselves in order to get to those things that we know we shouldn't be doing. That it would be so difficult for us to step away from that path because it is our habit, it is our trend, it is, it is automatic. We should be wise about what is good. Now wisdom comes from knowledge. As we study God's word, as we invest our lives in him, we grow in our knowledge. When we apply that knowledge to our decisions and our actions, that's the definition of wisdom taking what we know to be true and living by it. Paul says, be wise about what is good. Some, some translations say, be excellent at what is good. Do it so much that you are good at being good. Be wise about what is good and be innocent of evil as you're walking that path. Be innocent of what is good. Don't let anyone even say, don't give them room to accuse, but be innocent of what is evil. Build guardrails along your path. Protect yourself from the temptation of sin. Put people along your path, mentors that will encourage you to recognize the wrong, people who will hold you accountable, people that, that care about you enough to point out when they see your foot going a little bit outside of the normal groove, they would say, no, that is, that's not for you. That, there's danger there. Get back on the path. People who will help you be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. That faithfulness is it's important and significant in our lives. And then Paul says these, these unique words. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a victory won by him. But why does he say under your feet? The feet that walk the path of goodness, that are innocent of evil. The strength to live in that goodness, to avoid temptation, comes from God, comes by the power of his indwelling spirit, comes from what he supplies to you to live according to those words. He wraps up his thoughts, chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul's message for us 
is a reminder of the significance of faith in Jesus Christ, of proclaiming that message and inviting as many people as possible to, to know about the grace and love of God, the forgiveness that's made possible to them, and to live in the peace and hope that comes from that. A message that, like Paul, we are called to deliver in this world with, with no assumptions, with no disqualifications, with, without personally choosing who deserves to hear it and who doesn't. But, but boldly proclaiming it to any and everyone that comes in our path. But before we can answer that call toward that mission, we must hear it and receive it and respond to it as we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, and are baptized in his name. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to begin that life of faith with him. And for those of you who are Christians, I want to point you back to this message this message from Paul. And like Paul, sometimes I have the, the responsibility of using bluntness, boldness, to confront us with the truth. We have been entrusted with this message of hope, this message of grace. I'm not perfect in it. I've, I've failed in the past. But we are challenged to stop being selfish with our time and our energy and to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to this mission, to live according to the grace of the Lord, not only in the goodness that we live, but in proclaiming the message in the world around us, stepping across borders and boundaries to reaching people that we don't know, reach, reaching through to people that we may not like, reaching through to people, to every person that God has placed in our path because they're worthy of it, because they're loved by God. That is what we're challenged to do. To devote our lives to this truth. And I want to challenge you in that today. As you think about the weeks and months coming up, the people that God is going to bring into your path, that you begin praying about those opportunities and that you would step both feet into them, that you would invest yourself in the burdens of the people around you and help them carry them, that you would invest yourself in the, the, in the lostness of the people around you, that you would help them come to know the Lord and find forgiveness in him, that this would be your mission and your purpose, that your ambition would be to set everything aside for the sake of the gospel. That's who we're called to be. This morning, if there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, if there's a decision that you need to make about the Lord, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.